Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. If you're staying in here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles. Of course, they're on your bulletin as well, uh, Luke chapter 16, uh, verses 1 through 13. So our uh, last three weeks, uh, or really the last three sermons in Luke, we've been dealing with the fallout, right, with the, the religious leaders grumbling because they witnessed that this Jesus character was receiving sinners, and tax collectors were there, uh, and he was not only receiving them, but he was like, fa- like people were noticing that Jesus was with them, and he was eating with them. And in short, Jesus said, look, you can grumble all you want, but that's why I came. I, 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 my reason for being here is to seek and to save that which is lost. Okay. Well, having established that over the last three, three sermons, in our passage this morning, Jesus is still, still the same occasion, the same context. Jesus is turning his attention away from the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and back to his disciples, his followers, who we have learned at this point include some very wealthy people. Uh, tax collectors are there. And so Jesus uses this opportunity surrounded by wealthy people to launch into a new yet extremely relevant topic. It's what do we do, what do you do with your wealth? You know, if, if Jesus is redeeming and making every part of our lives new, then how do, what does it mean to be new in the way we view our money, the way we view our possessions? What does it mean to be rich in God? Because it means different than we think. Okay, um, we'll, we'll look just a few things by way of disclaimer uh, before we, we get too far. Uh, some of you may be thinking, Richard, okay, let me get this straight. It's, it's like Mother's Day, right? And uh, re- read the room. It's Mother's Day, and you're talking about money. Okay. Um, can't you just, like, just, just preach on Proverbs 31 like every other church in town, okay? All right. Um, well, just as Proverbs 31 hits, like, the whole gamut, it, it just spills over into all areas of life as far as what the godly woman is. You know, um, so does this topic, though, doesn't it? I mean, what, what affects more of our life in every area of life than finances and money stuff? As Martin Luther said, the quickest way to someone's heart is through their pocketbook, that e- each time we pull that card out to make that transaction or whatever it is, however it is that you make transactions, uh, you are revealing some of your heart when you do that. And so this isn't necessarily, I guess, unrelated um, to mothers, um, so second, then, uh, by way of just kind of background, I'm, I'm well aware, super aware, that this topic has been leveraged and even abused to guilt or manipulate believers into giving more money to some ministry. Uh, and to that concern, all I can say is, yes, uh, that is true. Uh, people who study church movements argue that when the uh, conspicuous consumption of the 1980s collided with the more spiritual fervor of the 1990s, you know, what would Jesus do, Jesus freak, um, it produced a spiritual climate that was particularly ripe for the spiritual virtue of wealth to not only be preached, but to really be embraced. And so the heretical false teaching of the health, wealth, and prosperity Jesus exploded on the scene, and unfortunately, it's still very much alive and well today. 
Uh, so my, my cousin uh, in Kimberly, Alabama, uh, has, a, um, has a church just down the street from his, his house uh, whose pastor teaches that Jesus had five houses. Uh, Jesus had five houses, and so do you. You need to have five houses. And God wants you to be financially rich, and if you're not, then there's something spiritually wrong with you. And so they would say, whoever is faithful with a little, God's going to give you even more money to be faithful with. Um, okay. That's not at all what the Bible teaches, and that's not what that little, whoever's little is you know, given much, that's not what that means either. And so with that, like, there's no agenda this morning. Uh, we don't currently have a capital campaign going on in our church. This is just liter- like literally the next passage in Luke. Um, even so, money's always a touchy subject, isn't it? Um, you know, there's like hurt, and then there's money hurt, and that's a different type of hurt. Uh, John Maxwell said, when it comes to money, you, you just can't win. <laughs> He said, if you focus on making it, you're materialistic. If you try to, but you don't, uh, you're a loser. If you make a lot of money and keep it, you're a miser. If you make it and then spend it all, you're a spendthrift. If you don't care about making it, you're unambitious. If you make a lot of it and still have it when you die, then you're a fool for trying to take it with you. Like, you cannot win when it comes to money. It's complicated. And then to make matters worse... um, None of us really feel particularly rich because we all know someone else who is richer than us. Um, Oil magnate uh, J. Paul Getty was once asked if it was true that his fortune was in the billions. And Getty said, "Mm, I suppose, but you got to remember that a billion doesn't go as far as it used to. Uh, What was it that John D. Rockefeller said when asked how much more money would be enough for him? He just said, more, just more. Um, so if, if being rich means having extra, right, you've done all your bills and you have a little extra, if being rich means having extra money, then we all know people or we are, are people uh, who are rich. And there are seminars and financial fitness, wealth management programs, ways that teach us how to be successful, and yet there are very few voices in our lives telling us how to truly be rich in the Lord. And so with that... Jesus this morning invites us to gather around him uh, with the other people during that day who had extra, the tax collectors, and learn how being found and forgiven in Christ transforms everything, even our use of money. Which then brings us to God's word, Luke 16. Jesus also said to the disciples, so there was a rich man who had a manager Uh, And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and he said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm, I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do. So that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Look, take your bill and sit down quickly, write fifty. And then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Look, take your bill, write eighty. And then verse eight, this is the turning point, very much the point of Jesus' teaching. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation 
than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Well, let's pray once again. Father, we need your help uh, because um, money's pretty important, and we need it to live. Um, and at the same time, just like all things, uh, we can take really, really good things, and we can so easily turn them into God things. Uh, so Lord, give us, give us your vision of our finances, of our resources uh, this morning. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so this, uh, this teaching, this parable and um, teaching can probably best be understood by dividing Jesus' teaching into two buckets. Um, one bucket is just the parable itself. We've got to talk about just what is Jesus saying. And then the second bucket, second point, is going to be the principles that Jesus lays out for his followers. Uh, so first, the first bucket, the parable. This is really probably one of the most straightforward stories Jesus ever told. And really, it's kind of the story's oldest time, right? It's you know, accusations came that one of the managers in the company was mishandling some of the company's funds. And whether this person used the expense account to, to, you know, to buy something personal or they embezzled some of the petty cash, we don't know. Regardless, the boss found out, called this manager in and told him, in short, look, collect your things, turn in your key, you're fired. You're terminated. <laughs> well, well, the dishonest employee found himself in a crisis, and he thought, I, I've had a desk job my entire life. Um, I'm white collar. Like, I'm not cut out for manual labor. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too prideful. I'm too ashamed to beg. What, what would you do? What am I going to do? And at that, this dishonest manager hatched his most dishonestly genius scheme yet. Think of like the Grinch, you know, on top of the mountain, and he's like, how can I get these who's? It's like, uh, this is it. Now, he had the scheme, but he had to act fast. Now, in, so in the Old Testament, it was, it was illegal for Hebrew people to charge interest for other Hebrews that they loaned money to. Um, however, even in light of the Old Testament law, uh, greed always seems to find a way. And so, in order to follow the letter of the law, the Jewish lenders, when they lent money, they didn't divide it into, like, principal and interest on the bill, uh, because that would clearly be against the law. You don't charge interest. But what they did was they, they kind of hid the interest in the loan itself. They would give an upcharge for oil, for oil or for wheat. They would give an upcharge, sometimes maybe as much as 100% upcharge for some commodities. And so this, this fired manager still... At this point, he still only had, or he had the only book containing who owed what. And so knowing that, he said if he acted fast before word of his firing got out, he could still kind of act on behalf of his, of his boss. 
And so he was playing with house money. And so he called as quickly as he could all the people who owed his boss money. And he asked well, the first person, look, how much do you owe? And the person said, 100. And, he, and the dishonest manager said, hey, look, I, I, I'm, I'm going to help you out. Uh, look, I want you to take that loan amount, just scratch through it, write down 50. And look, look, I, I got your other 50. I, I got you. And then to another, he said, scratch through yours. And look, let's just call it 80. I, I got your other 20. You, you, this is what I do for my friends, right? I'm just taking care of my friends. I mean, total, like evil, evil genius, right? Because while lowering their debt, he was also indebting them to himself. Uh, so that when word gets out that he's fired and he, he may never, who knows if he gets a job again, he still had friends who would always have a place for him in their homes and, and always a place at, at their tables. Well, you know, um, like, y'all know how sometimes people can do things that are, are immoral? And, like, you, you don't necessarily agree with what they did, but the way they did it, you're like, that is genius, what, what you just did. You know what I'm saying? Think of, like, Bernie Madoff, right? It's, it's almost, it's, it's evil genius. Well, that's what's going on here. And Jesus isn't saying, hey, we need to commend evildoers. But the boss comes in. And he finds out about this, and he said, you know what? Though he didn't commend the dishonesty or lack of integrity, when it came to the cleverness of looking out for his own self-interest, the Paul said, look, i got to tip my hat to you. You took care of yourself. Um, okay, so the dishonest manager had faced reality. Uh, he, he knew that if he didn't act fast, he was going to be out on the street. There was no future for him. And so he used all of his intelligence, all of his wit, all of his energy, all, like even his boss's resources to secure his earthly comfort, which then is bringing us to Jesus' point. Having faced our ultimate reality, that because of, of, of sin, because of our failings and our misdealings with, quote-unquote, God's finances, God's money, because of sin, we have something worse than living on the streets coming. You know, the Bible clearly tells us that the wages of sin, what that earns, is death. And if something isn't done with our sin, then such is our lot. But the gospel tells us that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Now, now knowing that, how much more so should we give as much attention to the things of God as we do to our earthly things? You know, as shrewd as this dishonest manager was about earthly things, how much more shrewd and intentional should we be about ultimate things? Infinitely more, right? So, so that's the parable, which then brings us to, to the, the principles, the second bucket that Jesus taught. Um, so principle number one, Jesus' followers use their worldly wealth to make everlasting friends. Um, that, that's, that, that there's a bigger picture involved when it comes to the way we use our, our, our stuff. You know, we, we don't just leverage our stuff so that we can get, like, the best personal life that we can and we can have the best in the American version of the good life. But, but Christians, yes, we, oh, there may not be anything wrong with that, you know, but at the same time, we use our, we use our resources to leverage, to leverage things for the sake of our soul and the soul of others. So God made us as physical beings with physical needs, which means as long as we're living on this side of eternity, of, co of course we need resources. Like we, we need money to rent or to, 
to buy home, to repair our home. We need groceries. We need transportation. And God's even, God's given us this good creation to enjoy, right? And so it's good to use resources to enjoy things like you know, entertainment. So Jesus isn't saying, look, give all of your money to the church and then take a vow of poverty and go live in a monastery somewhere. No. Yet at the same time, if we have been saved by Jesus, and, and, and also, this isn't a like, do good things with your money and then you will be good with God. No, it's like, God has, if God, God has already dealt with you, like if, if, in, if you are in Jesus, then you are saved and you are found. And, and therefore, as a result of that, then we're free to actually have a new vision for how we use our resources. Okay? What was it that Paul said? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Which means, if you're in Christ, you have already benefited from his resources which then changes how we use ours. So in verse 9, Jesus is using that ancient word for wealth. You know, there was a different economy in the ancient world. Like today, we, you know, we do like, we trade in currency. Um, back then, they hardly, I mean, they had some coins, but most of their trading was done in resources and commodities and trades of services. So it was a difference. So they didn't use just, they used this one big overarching word called mammon, ancient word. And in Jesus' day, mammon didn't just mean money. No, it meant, it meant everything we have that we can't take with us. Uh, it's everything that is left behind after we pass and our bodies are put in the ground. Um, so we've, we've got a new uh, administrator at our church. And many of you all know or have met Amelia. And this week, she was helping me type up some notes through, from a commentary as we're going through Luke. And um, there was this line in there that was talking about how at the end of the day, what is most dear to you, no matter what you have, everything that you belong and hold dearly to uh, ends up in a drawer in a hospital. It's just in the drawer of the hospital. Um, and, and Amelia told me that she read that line and she's like crying. You know, she's, she's, uh, she's that was the most, one of the most impactful things I've ever heard. Um, but it is true. You remember that sermon with Dr. Richardson, for those of us who were here, he said it all goes back in the box. Right? Um, so mammon is everything that leaves, that stays on this earth uh, when, you, when you pass and are with Jesus. Okay, so that's what Jesus means by unrighteous or earthly wealth. It's the, what we have here. We can't take it with us. It's just going to stay here. So what he's arguing is like, you might as well use it. Like, you might as well use it to invest in others for the sake of Christ and for God's glory. So in response to Jesus' grace in our life, we don't, we don't hoard our resources, but we, we use them like, intentionally uh, to, be, to be a gospel encouragement to other people. So we host dinner parties, and we have coffee with someone who needs encouragement, and we use our vacation homes and our season tickets and our hunting land for purposes greater than, than us. So those who are rich in God use their mammon a little different than the world does. We, we make eternal investments with our temporal resources, which then brings us to the second principle. Um, not only do we use our money, our resources, our things, our mammon for eternal things, but we also know that our money is not our money. <laughs> do you know that? 
Our money is not our money. As James said, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Um, that this is God's creation, and everything belongs to Him, and we are only stewards, uh, not owners. So even if you're the biggest landowner in the county, uh, you are just a steward. As Phil Riken said, whether we have a little or a lot, what you have is, is a sacred trust. Uh, we are using borrowed goods and borrowed time. So this is perspective. You know, it's easy for us to say, hey, look, if I had more money, I would give more to the church. If I had more money, I would give it to all sorts of things. I would do all these things. But here Jesus reminds us that compared to the grand things of eternity, everything's little. Everything's little here. And we think wealth and mammon is huge, but it's a little thing. And so, Jesus, and so yes, God is he's making this connection that the way that we use our material possessions really reveals something that's going on in our hearts. That as far as God is concerned, it's simply one of the little areas of everyday faithfulness. What do we do even with a little matters? Because it's not ours. Uh, we are only stewards. I tell you, there's a quote from Martin Luther. Martin Luther understood this. He said, We must use all these things upon earth in no other way than a guest who travels through the land and comes to a hotel to lodge overnight. He takes only food and lodging from the host, and he says not that the property or of the host belongs to him. Just so, we also treat our temporal possessions as if they were not ours, and enjoy only so much of them as we need to take care of ourselves and then to help our neighbors with the balance. Thus, the life of the Christian is only a lodging for the night, since we have here no continuing city, but we must journey on to heaven where the Father is. So stewardship, even in the small things, stewardship. And then, the, and then the, the third principle that Jesus teaches, and this is how we'll close. Followers of Christ know a godly vision of, of wealth helps us know that we cannot serve God and money at the same time. You just can't. Verse 13, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. <laughs> there are probably few, few verses in the whole Bible that strike against what it means to be or the American way of life than, than that verse does. You know, as humans, we, we have the capacity, we, we only have the capacity to have one dominating affection in our life, which may explain to us why God said, you, should, you can have no other gods besides me, the triune God. And yet here Jesus tells us that there's something about our fallen hearts that easily becomes enslaved by money. It's, it's like falling out of the bed in the morning. It's like we, we just do it because we love, like we know this, but we love buying and selling. And we love taking care of and holding on to and even hoarding stuff. We love it so much that we really think that we can have both. Uh, and we'll even, look, we'll even give God some of our money, and this is kind of the Old Testament view of tithing, right? That we give God like the, you know, the tithe, and then the rest is ours. But in the New Testament, we find like, it's all God's. It, it's all God's, not just 10%. Like, it's all God's money. It's just how we steward it uh, for His glory. And like, we know these things, right? We, we know that money can't buy happiness. Um, we, we, we know that Ecclesiastes said thousands of years ago that whoever loves money 
never has enough of it. And yet, stubborn as we are, we still, I still, will say things like Chris Jansen said, right? He says, I know everybody says money can't buy happiness, but it could buy me a boat, and it could buy me a truck to pull it. It could buy me a Yeti 110 ice down with some silver bullets. Yeah, I know what they say, money can't buy everything. Well, maybe so, but it could buy me a boat. Um, and there's this tremendous, and look, there's not, nothing wrong with getting a boat, right? But there's, just, there's this tremendous temptation to look at our financial security as our ultimate security, right? And, and it, it, that if everything in our whole life goes to pot, we'll still be okay, because we've got the nest egg, we've got the, the emergency fund. And, and yet, like Proverbs 10, we think our wealth is our strong city. That if we build big enough stacks of money, it will be this unscalable wall that will protect us from everything. And here Jesus is just telling us, like, look, if you've got lots of money, wonderful for you. But if you think that it's your ultimate security, Jesus is telling us that's no bueno. Loving and, and serving and finding security in our stuff just turns us kind of into Cinderella's ugly stepsisters. And we're just trying to force our foot into that glass slipper. It won't fit, but we know if we try hard enough, we can get it in there. It just won't fit. There's something about our soul and, and what satisfies our soul that just does not fit in the financial realm. Not only can we not, but we also see in Scripture that it's not even logical to serve God and money because only one of them can be our ultimate security. Right? Only one is our good, good Father who will, will not leave us nor forsake us will not let us go. And there's only one who died so that we, so that you actually could be forgiven and loved. And you can chase the good life and money all you want, but it's like running down a dream that vanishes. You can't be satisfied by it. You can't be satisfied in stuff. There's only one thing, and this is from like thousands of years of human experience, by the way, there's only one thing that can satisfy your soul, and it is Jesus. It's because God stepped into time and space and lived and died for us. We have no need to try and pull life out of money because Westminster, we have life in Him. And in light of that, you can rest. We can rest. And you know what? At that point, money just becomes money that we steward and we enjoy while we follow Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, messages like this and passages like this are always so uncomfortable because, I mean, you, you nail us. Um, you know that ch chances are we're probably more excited about the new whatever we just got and telling our friends than um, the, the utmost necessity to really even spend some of our resources to, to care for our soul. Um, so, Father, so often our soul gets just, we get the scraps. But, Lord, may you give us your vision of finances. Um, may we use all things, all things for your glory. So, Lord, we ask that uh, you would continue to capture us with the gospel message. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.
Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.